Well, again, Pentecost Sunday is the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. And I was, I think it's fitting that, that many church doors are actually reopening here on this day to celebrate the day that the church began about 2,000 some odd years ago. And how amazing, how awesome that is. Because what was it that they were, there were some disciples, about 120 that were up in the upper room that were to gather together. And what happened? They got in one accord. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to go there with me to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read that account right there in Acts chapter 2. It says this in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Somebody say, fully come. They were all, somebody say, all, with one accord and in one place. See, I'm telling you, there's something too. there's something about, I, I get it and I know that yes, we are the church and we have and we carry the church, the, Jesus lives on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit and we carry, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but there's something about when a body of believers get together in one place and in one accord, amen, it says, and they were all in one accord, somebody say one accord and one place. See, I'm telling you, it's important that as a church, as a body of believers, that I, as I was telling you about the Azusa Street Revival, those believers were in one accord. They were all believing for miracle signs and wonders. They were all in agreement. They were all in one accord. They were all praying and worshiping together. Amen. They didn't have multiple visions. Well, I think we ought to do this. Well, I think we ought to do that. No, they were in one accord and in one place. Amen. And I love this in verse two, it says, and suddenly, somebody say, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire that sat on upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say, all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. This is the birth of the church. This is what Jesus was referring to when He said, I want you to go and wait and receive power from on high. This is the culmination of that. And as I said earlier, any step we take from where the church began is a step away from where the church ought to be. Peter begins to begins to preach and it pricks the heart of the people as he begins to prophesy and begins to preach. And so they ask him and they say, so they they said, what shall we do? And if you look in verse 38, Peter answered and said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift. Somebody say the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. Somebody say that the promise is for me and my children and my grandchildren and my, and my children's children and my children's children's grandchildren. Amen. As it continues to go on and on and on. The promise is for you and for your children and to all who are afar off. As many as the Lord God will call. How many of God's called all of us? Amen. And I love that, that it says to all who are afar off. I don't understand sometimes how the church as a body of believers 
We are supposed to be a place where people who are broken, who are hurting, who are destitute, who are in need of God are, can come and receive from Almighty God the strength and the power to walk through everyday life and receive the remission and receive the forgiveness that Jesus paid for us. Amen. See, sometimes I get this, it's almost as if, you know, as you know, we, we read about, I, and I'm not, not, nobody in this room, nobody at our church is like this, but, you know, you think of, you read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all this, and all of a sudden, sometimes in church, we get so religious that we see somebody doing something and we say, oh, well, they can never come back to Christ. There is nobody that's too far from Christ. There is nobody that cannot come back to God. We bring the hurting to the church. We bring them to Jesus to where they can get filled up and get to the overflowing so that they won't go back and do those things that they used to do. Amen? And see, many believe, uh, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted to them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I don't know about you, but. You know, we can look at our generation today, we can see what's going on in the news, but if the, if the generation was perverse back then, man, think of where we are today. But thank God for God's Spirit, amen. It goes on to say, verse 40, 41, And those who gladly received His Word were baptized. And that day, somebody say that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. All because the power of of the Holy Spirit had come upon Peter, he began to preach, he began to prophesy, he began to declare God's Word, the goodness of God. And see, I don't understand, as I've seen and I've watched during this time, we should not be afraid to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ on our Facebook page. We should not be afraid to share and hit the like button and hit the share button so that someone else... Do you know that there were many people that got saved that came back to the body of Christ during this time because... Some of you were out there and hit the share button. Amen. There's many of you that I can see in this room that I can point to that I was able to go and contact and talk to different people because you were able to go out there and say, you know what, I want others to receive Jesus Christ. I want others to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And you hit and you click that share button so that others could say, hey, there's church going on there. Let me hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And see, on this day, the church experienced true freedom. Somebody say freedom. freedom. True freedom. On the day of Pentecost, the true freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Come on, say it with me this morning. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Amen. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, now, where the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How did the church experience this freedom? How do we experience the freedom that we have? The only reason that, that, that we experience the freedom that we have today, that we have, that we, that we walk in today, is because of the church because the church is here on this earth. How many know that the church is the one that we are the, the, the one that is holding back the enemy, the Antichrist from coming? 
We are the one that as we pray, as we continue to seek God, we are the one that's holding the evil back because the Bible continues to say, and it talks about how that in the end days, that, the, that there will be evil in the end days. Amen. But see, we experience freedom in God. We experience true freedom by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. And see, because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Bible says that He must go, that Jesus said that He had to go away, that He would send us the Helper. Look at this in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus declares, and He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Just look, point to yourself and say, it is to my advantage. It is to my advantage that Jesus went to heaven. You know, I, how many of you have ever wondered that before? I used to wonder that as a kid. I used to think, why didn't Jesus just stay on the earth? Why didn't Jesus just stay here? Because then we could just all just get on a plane and fly over to Israel and Jerusalem and just say, Jesus, why don't you heal me? And just walk up. But no, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In other words, he sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us, to guide us. Because Jesus was a man. He was 100% God, 100% man. But he could only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit, He sent us the Holy Spirit that can help us so that He can help me when I'm over here doing this. And He can help you when you're over there doing that. And He can help you whenever your child is over there doing this. Or maybe you've got family that are in the military that are overseas that are doing this or doing that. How many know that the Holy Spirit is there to help you and to help them in all of their ways? Somebody say amen. And so He sent the Holy Spirit because it was to our advantage. And see, the only reason that we experience the freedom from sickness and disease is by the Spirit of God. The only reason that we experience freedom from sin and death is by the Spirit of God. The only reason that we experience freedom from poverty and from lack is by the Spirit of God. If we didn't need the Holy Spirit, if we didn't need the Holy Ghost, God wouldn't have sent Him. There is a reason that Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to get that this morning. I want you to, I kind of want to go back to that because the only reason that we experience freedom from sin and death is because of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Jesus did and because he sent us the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus gives us an example in John chapter 4. I want you to go there to John chapter 4 with me. And he gives us insight into freedom in the Spirit. I want you to say that this morning. If you're watching online, just post that in the comments today. Say, freedom in the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, I'm telling you this morning that that's important that we understand and we have a concept that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you don't have freedom... I'm talking about spiritual freedom. I'm talking about the freedom of God. I'm talking about true freedom. If you don't, like for example, if you don't have freedom in your marriage, then you ought to look and evaluate your marriage and say, is the Spirit of God in my marriage? If you don't have freedom, 
in an area, whether it's sickness or something like that, you need to ask yourself and say, is the Spirit of God surrounding this sickness? Is this, not, that God, not that the Spirit is sent, but I'm saying like, have you gotten down to the place that in the Spirit you begin to pray, you begin to fast, you begin to declare, you begin to do in the Spirit? And again, I'll go back to that illustration about marriage. If you're not experienced freedom in your marriage, then you need to evaluate and say, is the Spirit of God in my marriage? And I'm not talking about freedom to just go and do whatever you want to do. See, the Bible is clear that we cannot just walk and live any way we want to live. We can't just do anything we want to do, not according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us and He leads us and guides us. If I go to do something, if I, if I wanted to, I could say a bad word right now. But there's something on the inside of me, there's a Holy Spirit on the inside of me that says, you know what, I ought not to do that, amen? Because that wouldn't be right. See, there, there are things that by the Spirit of God, we must be born of the Spirit of God, amen? Somebody say amen. If we didn't need the Holy Ghost... He wouldn't have sent him. John chapter 4. Here is Jesus. He's on a journey. And he's on the journey. And on his journey, he comes up to a well called Jacob's well. And right here, he get, he's tired. He, he's thirsty. And he's here. And he, while he's sitting there, the disciples have gone off into the city to go and find something to eat. But all of a sudden, he said, the, a woman walks up to him. That's a Samaritan woman. And, and he, and he asked her for a drink of water. Now I want you to think about this, how important this is. He goes on and he says this. Then the woman of Samaria, verse nine, John chapter four, verse nine, he said, said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want us to understand something today. That understand that in, in, in that day and in that time, that the Jews and the Samaritans were prejudiced against each other. They didn't talk or mingle. They were not in fellowship with each other. It's a sad thing. I don't know about you, but... And it was, and if you kind of, as you research and do some things, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about this and in light of things, and I think it's important that we understand this as a church, that, that Jews and Samaritans, they were prejudiced against each other and to the point of racism. I want you to know that racism is straight out of the pit of hell. Amen? That there is nothing, that that is not how God, Jesus tells us to love everyone, period. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter how they grew up, no matter where they grew up, Jesus said that these are the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm telling you today that it's important that we have an understanding that Jesus tells us to love one another. Amen? Regardless, you know, I mean, like for example, in today's society, there are people that believe in, in different type of relationships and, you know, homosexual relationships and all those things. The Bible still says for us to love that person. We still love those, those that you may have a family member. We still love them. We just don't accept the sin that's in their life. You can love somebody and not accept sin in their life. Amen. 
And so we had to understand that we ought to love one another. It doesn't matter what somebody's political views are. We ought to love one another. It doesn't matter whether you're not you're green or you're purple or you're blue. God says for us to love one another. Amen. But when I studied in Israel, I went to, uh, you know, how many know where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? When I went to go into Bethlehem, I, I, we were in Jerusalem. That's where we were staying. But in order to go into Bethlehem, we had to come and we pulled up on a bus. I had to get off the bus because it was a Jewish bus. And in Bethlehem, it's controlled by the Arabs. It's controlled by the Muslims. And so there is a big wall, a big brick wall with barbed wire on top. It looks almost like like going into a prison in the sense of, of, of a big wall, kind of like what you used to see, like the Berlin Wall. It's about as tall as this room is, a big cinder blocks and all those things, a big concrete wall with, with barbed wire on top. We had to get off of that bus to get onto the Arab bus. Our Jewish tour guide was not allowed to go into Bethlehem because he is he was Jewish. We had to get an Arab tour guide that would drive us into Bethlehem and somebody had to walk on the bus with an AK-47 to make sure that there wasn't somebody that was trying to infiltrate the Arab area. Then to come out of Bethlehem, to come back into Jerusalem, to get back into regular and, and out of that area, there was a there was another uh, army officer that had to walk through to make sure that there wasn't an Arab that was trying to infiltrate that would be like a suicide bomber that would come and come over that wasn't supposed to be there, that we had to actually pull out our passports and make sure that we were who we said we were. See, I'm telling you that it's not about whether or not somebody looks like you or not. There are different forms and um, there are different ways. And see, it doesn't matter what way the enemy, all his agenda is, is to divide, is to cause things. And see, we cannot allow Jesus. This is what he's addressing right here. A Jewish uh, Jesus who is a Jew is talking to a Samaritan woman. He is breaking racial barriers. He is breaking down walls. And not only that. As I was studying this, I did some study. It said this in the Dakes. It said this, that when the disciples came back later, they marveled. In other words, they were in amazement that Jesus would even speak to her, not only because there were no dealings between Jews and Samaritans, but because Jewish etiquette and the Talmud forbid rabbis to converse with a woman in public or to instruct them in the law. No rabbi could even converse with his wife or his sister or his daughter in public and in the street. This is Jesus, and he is breaking racial barriers. He is breaking social barriers. He is breaking religious barriers all in one conversation by walking up to a well and talking to a woman and saying, can you pour me a drink? In verse 10, it goes on, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God who sits, who it, who it is, who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Somebody say living water. Just somebody confess that this morning and say, I want Living water. Jesus goes on to tell us this in John. Just stay there. But he says this later on in John chapter 7. He says that he that believeth on me as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. See, that's why whenever all of a sudden you begin to pray in the spirit, 
Now, how many of you have ever been there before, but all of a sudden something begins to come bubbling up from the inside? All of a sudden, why? Because it's out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give to him will become, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come to draw again. In other words, she is looking for a natural solution, but instead she found something supernatural. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. And see, I believe there are many believers. There are many people who are looking for a natural solution to a supernatural warfare. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says this in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty. Somebody say mighty. Mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. I think sometimes we read that and we get a little bit afraid, but there's not, Jesus has already overcome them. Jesus has already dealt with all that. Jesus has already done that. And many believers are looking for natural power, but God has given us supernatural power. He has given us supernatural power to witness to others by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. God has given us the power to accomplish His will with the help of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. When we don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit will help give us the words to say. All of a sudden, you may go to a coworker, somebody, a friend, somebody, and you don't maybe not know the words that you ought to say, but God will give you the words to say. Somebody say amen. There is a supernatural power by the Holy Spirit to overcoming joy. Amen. See, when we get saved, we receive a measure of, of the Holy Spirit. According to Ephesians 4, 7 says, every believer is given a measure of the Holy Spirit. But is that all the believer should expect to receive? No, not according to God's Word. Or, let's say it this way, not according to God's infallible Word. Acts chapter 8 tells us, Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches after all this. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. I want you to see this. That it's interesting that after the disciples received the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden they find themselves going to Samaria, the place where Jews do not deal with the Samaritans. Look at this. Philip goes to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and he preaches, and people were getting born again, and there was all kinds of great results. 
So then if you look at verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles were at, who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But when Peter and John laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here is a clear biblical evidence of a need to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit after being born again. These Samaritans were clearly born again even though the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. And when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, it fills you up into overflowing with the evidence of the initial sign of speaking in other tongues. If you want to know if somebody's baptized in the Holy Spirit and received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, ask them to speak in tongues. It's not something foreign. It's not something hard. It's something that is given by Jesus. And every believer ought to speak in tongues. Now there is a personal prayer language. There is also the gift of tongues and interpretation. Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man, thank you, sir, understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. See, I want to encourage us, encourage us as a church today that John chapter 4 says this in verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is that when true worshipers, somebody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Church, it's time for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when we do that, then there is freedom for God to move. There is freedom for God to do the things that we read about. Not just that those things are not done away with. There are miracles, signs, and wonders that are following us as believers. I'm believing to see people getting raised up out of wheelchairs. I'm believing to see people getting healed out of hospital beds. I'm believing to see bro uh, broken arms be healed, limbs to grow back, all kinds of things, blind eyes to be opened, deaf ears to open. But how is that going to come? It's by the Spirit of God. And you cannot have any type or form of hate towards anyone, but we must live and walk in love towards one another so that we can walk in the freedom of the Spirit of God. How many of you received that today? 